Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good morning. Good, good. Couple of you more awake than others. Hey, let's give it up for the band, huh? Hey, we are, uh, we are so glad that you're with us today. If you're new with us, this is especially a, a good time for you to ju- jump in. Also, if you're new with us, my name is Peter. I'm the, uh, the senior pastor here at FBH, and we are so excited um, to have you. We are, uh, you caught us in the middle of, of a, uh, a vision month. And so we are talking through what it looks like to be FBH in 2019 and beyond. And so two weeks ago, um, you endured my 57-minute manifesto for those of you who were here. Um, And if you are largely, if you weren't here that weekend and you're largely trying to figure out um, what the direction that we're going, that would be a great uh, opportunity for you to listen to that. You can get it on Apple iTunes or on, on podcasts there. And you can also go to our website and listen to that message as well. Um, but then last week we started unpacking our, uh, our mission, what, what, what it is that we're called to do as a church. And so last week we largely talked about the idea of loving God and what that looks like and what it looks like to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then this week now we get the opportunity to look at what it means to, to love people and love people well. Because our mission is love God, love people, and serve the world. And so for any of you keeping score at home, next week we'll be talking about serving the world. And, and the reality is, is that there should be a little bit of bleed between all three of these. Because you can't separate them out from one another. Because even as I was talking in my, in my class this morning is, is when you love God, we have no option but to also love people. To try to get those two things apart from one another is impossible to do. And then as you love people, you are going to indeed be serving the world. So all of these things really are intertwined. But like we talked about last week, we have to start with loving God. And so as I got here about, uh, about six months ago, I, op- I got the opportunity to learn a lot of different things uh, about our church. A lot of those things were good. Some of them needed to change. And, and that's what we're up to as we march into 2019 uh, and beyond. But as we march on, it's, uh, it's imperative that we, pick, off where we left, pick up where we left off last week. And last week, like I said, we talked about what it is to, uh, to love God and to love God well. Because that's the starting point of everything that we do. It, it is because of that, it is the reason we do what it is that we do. Because we aren't in the business of church to shape morality. I mean, it's a byproduct, but we're not in the business of church to shape morality. We're in the business of church for social justice, though that is a byproduct. We aren't in the, the business of church for egotistical reasons and to pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we have done. Look what we have built. That's not the case at all. We're in the business of doing church because we want to love God to the best of our ability. That's why we do church. And I would guess there are people in here who have preconceived notions of the church and a lot of which are merited. Some are good, some are bad. And I've heard it all. And largely I'll call a spade a spade. Baptist churches got a real bad rap at some point, some point in the last 50 years about being guilt inducing. And all you believe is do this and don't do that. And that sort of thing. Now, whether merited or not, I don't know, but that, cause I wasn't alive, but that being said, is that we have some work to do, especially as a Baptist church, for us to figure out what it looks like to love people and specifically to love people well. 
And like I said, some, some of us in here have some of those negative preconceived notions. You come in here with baggage. All of us come in here with baggage of some sort, but some of us in here may have baggage regarding a church that you came from, or maybe you just stayed away from church for such a long time because something happened in your family and the church seemed to be at the center of it. Or maybe you've thought, you know what? Church is the, the opiate of the masses. They, they do that only to control people's minds. And so because of that, I'm going to stay away regardless of where you're at, regardless of the the baggage that you're holding on to today, you're here and we're going to do our best to explain and try to figure out how it is that we love people well because of the fact that we love God first. So if you're with us last week, you know that, that I called us to love God and love him well, but that's not the end of the story and that's not the end of our mission here. Jesus tells us that in Mark 12, 28 to 33, you're going to find it on the screen. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And last week, this is where we stopped. This is where we stopped last a good place to stop because of the fact that, man, we could camp on that, those couple verses forever. And as a matter of fact, we're going to get the opportunity when we get to heaven to be able to live in that space forever. We're going to get the opportunity to simply love God and worship God forever. That being said, while we are on this side of eternity, we cannot ignore the verses that come next. We cannot ignore the command that comes next. And largely that command picks up in verse 31. It says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. He goes on to say, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Like I said, the reality is, even though we could spend eternity loving God, loving God has all of these byproducts that come with it, even if you weren't expecting it. And so as, as a lot of us made decisions for faith, a lot of us would call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, whatever it is you want to call us. We've made a decision to follow Jesus at some point in our lives. And I hope you had all the information necessary to follow him because what happens a lot of times, at least in my experience, is, man, we get caught up and we're like, hey, I love Jesus so much. This is a great emotional moment. It happens at camp, especially at youth camps, right? It's Tuesday night. Everybody's exhausted the first two days at camp. And then, and then what happens is, is it turns into a cry fest during worship. And then after everybody gets super emotional and sad, the speaker comes on stage and says, man, if anybody would like to receive Jesus into their hearts, just raise their hand or come forward or however it is that they do it at that specific camp. And like 500 kids come forward. And I'm like, wait, time out. Half of you guys I know already have your faith in Jesus. What's going on here? But the reality is, is that, that there are things that happen to us. There are byproducts that come out of having a relationship with Jesus. And some of those I already mentioned, right? The idea of morality, we wouldn't call it that. We would call it sanctification. Sanctification is a theological word that means becoming holy, right? So we would say as you enter into a relationship with God, every single day you are becoming more and more sanctified. You're becoming more and more 
holy as you strive to be like him, as you listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. There's other byproducts, the idea of, of social justice, that we read the Bible and we recognize that, that God and Jesus have a, a heart for the poor and the needy and the downtrodden. And so because of that, that should, re, that should elicit a response from us to be able to care for those who are in need, to care for the poor, to care for those who have, who, who have just been dealt a rough hand. That's our responsibility as the church to be able to do so. There's tons of byproducts that happens when we love God first. And so the truth really is that loving God demands us to love people. Loving God demands us to love people. And when you decide to love God, you have no option but to love them because you begin to recognize who he is and what he has done for you. And as you dig into his word, you begin to understand that not only is he for us, he wants everyone to know him in a very real, in a very intimate way. And as you love Jesus, you want to do what it is that he commands of us. And when I was a teacher, I know you guys are like, you guys, you're a teacher. I know I made it through one year of seventh graders. and I was like, I'm out. Right. But when I was a teacher, there were, there, there's two philosophies of teaching, right? Or at least they tend to be. Teachers are like, there's way more than that. And there's acronyms to go along with it. I know, okay? But that being said is most teachers fall into one of two camps. One of the camps is you will do what I say. And if you don't, you are going to be in trouble. And so there is a fear-based type of teaching, right? Where everything you do, everything the students do, they should do. Because if they don't, they are terrified about the repercussions that are going to happen, right? Some of you have that, have known that teacher. Mine was named Mrs. Johnson, okay? Eighth grade science. And if she's listening, Mrs. J, I'm sorry, okay? But some of you had those teachers. And then there's another side of teaching, right? And the other side of teaching is you want to do your best to gain the respect of your students, to love your students in such a way that they want to perform for you. That you can say, you know what? Man, I understand that you're wrestling with this. Yeah, you got a D. I'm not changing your grade. But that being said, how can we help you move forward from here? And so you have those teachers who are willing to put in the extra time with you. Man, when I was in high school, my water polo coach was also my math teacher, was also the teacher that I TA'd for, right? I don't know how I got him for all of those things, but he was. And I was really struggling with grades and trying to figure out how to keep up with the rest of the people who were uh, with the rest of my, my, my peer group because they just had to show up and they would get A's and I'm struggling to get B's and C's and that sort of thing. And so he took the time. I remember him sitting down and saying, all right, look, let's plan your week. What does your week look like? He took time out of his schedule to, to help me organize myself. And so because of that, because he showed that he cared for me, because he showed that he loved me and he wanted what was best for me, I wanted to do my best in order to, to, to make him proud, to honor him in the way that he had loved me. And so when it comes to things of faith, when it comes to God, that's one of the things that we have to recognize is that, that so often the pendulum swings to this side of fear-based faith. Where we think if you don't do, if you sin like that, you're going to burn in hell, which it's true. We're not telling lies here. If you're not saved, that's where you're going. We get that. But that being said is to an, to a world who largely doesn't believe in God, to a world that largely doesn't believe in Jesus. That makes no sense because hell doesn't exist. 
And so because of that, we have to swing over to this other side of uh, this other side of loving people or telling people the truth, which is indeed loving them. And as you love them and as you care for them and as you get their ear, what happens is they want to listen to you. They want to do the things that you suggest because you look a whole lot different than anybody. That's where we want So what then is the nature of love? Because it would, nature of love would include obedience, right? That, that not necessarily fear-based, but we need to be obedient to what God said. Not less than being transformed by a love for him. It's treasuring, it's admiring, delighting in, being satisfied by this most beautiful treasure of all. The nature of love is, it's Philippians 3.8. It says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So because I know Jesus, because I love him and I love God, I count everything else as loss in order to do what it is he asks me to do. But it shouldn't be fueled by guilt-ridden response. We shouldn't, be, we shouldn't love other people because we've been guilted into doing so by Jesus. We shouldn't love other people because you're leaving here and you're like, man, I'm not loving people well. I feel really, really guilty about what Peter said on stage. And so because of that, I better, I better love someone today. That's not the response that, that we're looking for. We need to recognize that our love comes from the creator of love. Our love for other people should pour out, should pour out of us because of our recognition of God loving us first. Love isn't something that naturally comes from within us. Ask any parent, right? That kid comes out and they, they are nothing but needy. Nothing like they can do. Like I had a hard time connecting with my kids until they could at least make like sounds that weren't terrifying to me. And so like you could set a child down who's like a couple weeks old, even a couple months old, and you could go do something else and you come back. Guess what? They're right there. And if they're not, it wasn't on their own accord. Mom was like, okay, I shouldn't put dad in charge again. Right. But largely that would be the case. They can do nothing for themselves, zero things for themselves. And they're needy, right? All they do is cry when they want something, Right? I heard Jeff Foxy say one time, when those diapers say 12 to 18 pounds on them, man, they are not lying. Because when 12 to 18 pounds, I'll let you connect the dots there. They're neat. They can do nothing on their own. We, they are neat. Love doesn't naturally come from them. Now we have needs that have to be met, but largely it's learned. And how we love people is learned and shaped by that they showed love. And so for us, for Sarah and I, as, as parents, we want to do our best to show our kids what love looks like. And it looks a whole lot like, hey, there are repercussions for your actions and a whole lot like, hey, but we're going to give grace because Jesus gave us grace too. Right? Love doesn't naturally come from within us, which means we have to work to, to, work to, to love people for those who are around us every single day. We have to love people when they are kind and we get along really well with them. Those are my favorite type of people to love, right? You're like, man, this is great. This is so good. Let's go. I want to, I want to love you every single day. Let's go have coffee again tomorrow, right? You guys all have those people in your life, but we also have to love people when they're nasty and unlovable, which are also some of my favorite people to love. <laughs> Cause I'm like, okay, challenge accepted, right? <laughs> we have to love people when they disagree with us. Fun, man, this is becoming harder and harder, 
right? Because, because before you weren't supposed to talk about religion or politics, right? And now that's all Facebook wants you to talk about is religion and politics. But we have to love people regardless of, of fundamentally different points of view. We have to love people when they worship a different God than we do. We have to love people when they're in the midst of a sinful lifestyle that the Bible speaks out against. We have to love people well, even when we simply don't feel like loving people. And that's the most incredibly exhausting thing that we can possibly do is love people well. It's exhausting and it's because it doesn't come naturally from us. But it isn't about us. It's about our practice regarding it should go. It's about us working in such a way that we're going to honor God every single day of our lives. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. It's about us getting our hands dirty and doing the hard work of entering into that messiness of people's lives and saying, look, I know where you are and I know a way out. His name is Jesus. Going back to our scripture regarding the great commandment, during, during Jesus' lifetime, rabbis were often busy arguing over the meaning of the word neighbor, right? This is, is I mean, you go to, theological, I go to theological conferences and talk to different pastors and that sort of thing, and pastors love doing stuff like this. Well, what did the, that word neighbor actually mean then, right? It's like, okay, come on. But, but largely, this is what they're doing. And for most of them, a neighbor was a Jew who strictly observed the law. That's what a neighbor was. Someone who was like them. Other people were hated and considered enemies. Jesus sought to broaden their definition of neighbor. So he told them the story known as the Good Samaritan. Right? And he told them that story in order to teach them that a neighbor is any person we encounter who has a need of any kind. That's the definition of neighbor that Jesus gives us. The question isn't who is my neighbor, but am I being a good neighbor? That's the question that we should be asking with ourselves. Loving your neighbor essentially means loving the people around you. All of them. In importance only to loving God because loving people is really just an extension of loving God. You can't separate the two. Jesus couldn't have given us the greatest command without also giving us the second greatest command. Because the two are completely and totally entwined. Loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. Loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. So Gary Diamond, he's the author of Five Love Languages. We talked about him a little bit last week too. But he so he identifies five primary ways in which people both express and receive love. Okay, so so there are words of affirmation, their quality time, acts of service, physical touch. And gifts, like gift giving and gift receiving. We can certainly use, use us to express our love for God through prayer, through singing. We can, we can spend quality time with God through our devotionals, through our Bible, Bible reading. But how do you perform an act of service for God without serving another person? How do you serve a God who really needs nothing from you? You serve people. That's how you do it. 
Because when we serve, when we touch those gifts to, to other people, we are nonetheless doing it for God. And Jesus once said in Matthew twenty five forty, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It isn't an option. It is a command from God to love people. And it's not even an option regarding who to love. If you're close with them, if you just met them, if your kid is on their baseball team and the parent happens to yell too much, right? You have to love them. It's not an option. You don't have to like them, as my mom would say, but you have to love them. Loving God means loving people and going out of your way, arranging your, or using our resources for who are around us. When you put your arms around someone who needs a shoulder to cry on, you are fulfilling the greatest commands that Jesus walked forth for us. When you give an unexpected gift to someone struggling to pay their rent, you're loving your neighbor and you're loving God. When you take time to mow the lawn of a neighbor who hasn't gotten to theirs yet, and it would take all of five minutes to knock theirs out as well, you are loving people well. Ultimately, we love people the most when we share with them that same loving relationship with God that we have. And preachers and pastors often talk about the Great Commission when Jesus said, So wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I have commanded you. But Jesus never called this command great. He never called that command great. The command that he calls great, the one he calls the most important, is the command to love. That's what he calls great. When we learn to love one another out to that command flows the ability to make disciples. We are commanded to love people well. The church oftentimes forgets that, that we stand out not because of our convictions, but because of our love. And this is going to be a hard one to hear. We don't stand out because of our convictions, church. We stand out because of the way we love people. The Bible even tells us that. But, but before we get to that verse, Dee Breston and Kathy Tricoli made some observations about Jesus' command to love one another in their book. It's called Following Love with Je- Falling in Love with Jesus. And this is what they wrote. It says, do you know what the Bible says is the mark of a Christian? Is it our views on abortion or homosexuality? Is it our involvement in a Bible-believing church? Is it our doctrinal stance on salvation? No. What arrests people, what causes us out from the world is not our convictions, as important as those may be. It is love. When we can live a life of love, the world sits up and takes notice. John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It doesn't say, by this, everyone will know that you are disciples if you tell them in, or that that sin is wrong, or that you baptize people incorrectly, or that fill in the blank. It tells us that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We should be defined by love. And the reason is, the entire world has convictions. Everybody does. Everybody has convictions. Some are great. Some are not so great. Some are important. Some really don't matter. And I would argue in the grand scheme of things like cat videos are the best thing that's come out of Facebook. But 
That being said, every single person has convictions. Every single person has an idea about the way that the world should interact with the world, the way that we should interact with one another. Which is why I think the Bible doesn't tell us to go yell our convictions at people or get on social media and argue about trivial things. It tells us that people will know we're Christians by the way we what? Love. And that's what makes people sit up and take notice of the fact that the Bible isn't only true, the Bible is effective, and the Bible is as just as applicable today as it has always been. You want people to listen to your convictions? Stop telling them your convictions and show them. Love, care for them. And then when there is a prompting of the Holy Spirit, when you get an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus, man, take the opportunity. Take that opportunity. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is the love chapter. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So let's pause there for a second. Not necessarily because it's verses, but I want to frame this whole passage for us to understand that we are so used to hearing this, like this scripture in the midst of like weddings and loving relationships with other people. And we, we tend to think of it more as a romantic type of love, but that's not what this is talking about. This isn't what this is talking about at all. It's talking about us simply, what does love look like? What does love look like as you do your best to love people, as you do your best to love your neighbor, as you do your best to love people that you simply don't like? So now that we framed it, let's think about someone we don't like and now read this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That should be written twice. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. But love, that's forever. And so when we talk about the idea that, man, the world just needs to know the truth. Yeah, you want to know how you can tell the world the truth? By living according to the scriptures and loving people. So for our church, we're in the midst of, I don't want to just love God, let people serve the world. Because these are fundamental truths. These are things that if you've opened your Bible and studied for any amount of time, you should probably recognize a lot of these things or most of these things anyway. Right? So what does this mean for our church? The first thing is this, that we will love people by doing life together. We'll love people by doing life together. I find that a lot of Christian discipleship, you need to know what you need to know, not who you need to be with. And that's sad because if we, we get the relationships right, the information is going to follow. It's going to happen. If we connect People in real community, in real gospel community, they will learn. But the opposite isn't always true. Going to a class, like, trust me, going to a class and sitting there and saying, hey, because you were in class, you now have a relationship with God. It, it, it would be like saying that because I went, because I, I took geometry in high school means I have a good relationship with geometry. I don't. 
So the latter isn't always true. And I think there's a context for it. You guys are in here listening to me right now. But that being said, it's not always true. We're too often concerned only with this idea of conversion and information download. And we don't take community and relationally based discipleship seriously enough. You can't build community by way of programming. We can't say, okay, now your community happens on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. And you guys are going to walk through uh, uh, this book of the Bible. And that's great. Those things are great. And you're learning. So don't mishear me. You're learning. And you're becoming, as you learn and as you gain that knowledge, you become more sanctified. You become more holy. But that being said, that's not the only way to do it. You have to be willing to live in community with one another. Senior adults in the room, you do that than my generation does. You naturally seek out relationships with one another. People that are, things that are going on in your life. I was sharing this morning in my class that, that the context I came from, technology reigned and people never stopped by my office at all. Man, you guys love coming by the office. And sometimes it's great. And sometimes I'm like, nope, I'm shutting the door today. <laughs> Because I have to get work some work done at some point. But that being said, you naturally seek out community with one another, which is one of the reasons that we're not shutting down God to be true. We want to keep that open because there's community there. You seek out one another well. You love one another well. But my generation, the technology generation, and the generation right above mine, right? We naturally don't seek out that community as well. It's because we're too busy staring at our screens and sharing cat videos. And that's okay. But that being said, we need to create then community for people to be able to hold on to. Community that people are going to be able to be discipled through. Man, when we preach the gospel to one another in close-knit community, there's spiritual growth that changes us individually and as a whole. And that change causes us to position for an outward focus. It encourages us uh, towards gospel transformation in the communities outside of the church walls then. And as much as I love gathering with the whole body, the whole local church for corporate worship, there's something powerful, powerfully unique about an intimate gathering in a living room or a room table that says to think differently than when we are in a big room for worship. Our goal is to be able to launch a few different types of groups as a church, all of which we believe are incredibly, incredibly important. The first type of group is going to be this. There's, there's small groups. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Small groups. So like I said a couple of weeks ago, our goal is to be able to align everything we do. Everything we have, we want to align. Okay. And so what we want to do, we want to offer groups for men. We want to offer groups for women. Um, I didn't have, uh, enough space there to add married, married groups, mixed groups, student groups, children groups. We want our kids to know that from the time that they are born to the time that they die, they should be in community with other believers. And so because of that, we want to have children's small groups. We want to have youth small groups. We want to have young adult, small groups. We want to have married, small groups. We want to have senior adult, small groups, because they need to recognize, we need to recognize that discipleship doesn't often happen in a classroom and a download of knowledge. Discipleship largely happens when you're doing life with one another. 
And so that's, that's the first type of small group we, we, wanna, we are going to be launching in the fall. And there's a couple others that we're continuing to work on. The next one is the idea of care groups. And I don't know if I like this name or not, but that's good enough to convince. Okay. Care groups. Largely, uh, care groups is what recovery, our recovery group is already doing on Tuesday nights. Our recovery group is doing, doing great stuff and being able to create a safe atmosphere for people to work through some of these issues that they have. Some, some issues that are a little bit deeper and need to, and this, these groups need to be a little bit more focused towards the issues that the individual people have. So things like recovery, things like groups that would foster people who have PTSD, people who are struggling with porn addiction, people who are struggling with anger. We want to be able to offer groups like this so people can say, look, I'm having this issue in my life. Perfect. We have a community that you can get plugged into. We have curriculum that we will be able to, to set your way to hopefully get you from a place of addiction or a place of whatever it may be to a place where you can continue towards sanctification. You can continue to, to, to move towards holiness. And the last type of group would be the idea of groups that would be equipping groups. So one of the things that came out of two weeks ago is I had some people just concerned about where are we going to learn how to do specific things that will help us in our faith, tools that we can put into our toolbox on a regular basis to make sure that I can indeed share with us. Equipped as I move forward. So what we're going to do, some of you are like, what is everybody else going to do at the nine o'clock hour? This is what we want to do. These things will be seasonal, and we're not landed on these things specifically, but these are just some ideas, so don't hold us to, to the, the two things on the right side. We're, we're moving in that direction, but we got Jeff. I said we. Jeff has a lot of work to do. Um, but that being said, we want to be able to equip believers in specific ways. So, man, if you feel like you never learned how to read your Bible well, great. We want to offer some seasonal classes in order to do that. Now, the difference between this and a Sunday school class is these will have a definite start date and a definite end date. Which means, you know what? We're going to offer a class for six to eight weeks about reading your Bible. Great. For six to eight weeks in the fall, we're going to offer a class about reading your Bible. How to do that best, Right? Or maybe you're like, I need to know how to defend my faith. I need to know, like, as I'm talking with people, I just feel like I'm not prepared to share my faith and defend my faith. And so specifically defending my faith, man, we're going to teach a, a class on apologetics, man. And if someone comes at you saying, Hey, there's, there's all these inconsistencies of the Bibles. What do you do with that? And how can you shape that conversation so they can better understand what it is uh, that we actually believe and what scripture actually says. So these are the type of groups that we want to be launching. Okay. The first one specifically is launching in the fall. Small groups, like I said, we already have recovery. And there's other stuff that we're going to continue to work towards. But this is ultimately our goal as to what we want to get to. Okay, good. We good with that? Good. So next, the next thing is we will love people by shepherding them well. And so with your Connect card. Is there a slide for Connect card? I don't know if there is. There it is. Your Connect card. Now, I know you all laugh because we get about 40% of your Connect cards in here, okay? And we know because we do a head count of everybody who is here, and then we also go through your Connect cards. Did you guys know that as a church, uh, churches in the U.S., uh, the, the vast majority of them have fewer than 99 attenders on a weekend? You guys know that? That's the vast majority of churches in the U.S., meaning that our church is at least three times as large as the majority of churches in the U.S., which is great. I love our church. I love being big enough to offer some of these things that we're trying to launch, to do some of these things that we're trying to do, because oftentimes smaller churches don't get the opportunity to do so. 
But that being said, as our church is larger and as our church continues to grow, what we have to figure out is a way to get smaller, which is one of the reasons that we are doing small groups. But one of the big pieces of this is being able for us to be able to figure out, man, where are you? If you come on a Sunday morning, we would love to know that. So if someone is gone for three weeks, we could follow up with them and be like, look, that's not an extended vacation. Something's going on with them. We would love to be able to follow up with you. Or on your prayer request section, if, if, if you jot down a prayer request and you're like, look, so-and-so or, or my wife is really struggling with whatever, whether it be illness or whether it be, whether it be a spiritual thing, whatever it is. We want to be able to know that. And so we can begin to shepherd people well. There tends to be a frustration uh, as churches grow that, man, the pastor isn't going out and seeing everybody. There's a problem, though. We don't know that we need to go see people. And so because of that, we need that communication. So if you're sitting there with your Connect card and you're like, I'm not going to turn this thing in again just so I can thumb my nose at pastor, that's fine. But know that even if you simply write your name on that Connect card and hand it to one of your ushers, on, one of the ushers on the way out, we will be able to shepherd people so much better. We will be able to shepherd you so much better. That's the reason for the Connect card. We're not trying to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, our numbers were better this weekend. We can do that without you filling out your Connect card. We want to be able to be more available to you, and a, your Connect card is one of the ways that we can do so. And lastly, we'll love people by telling them who Jesus is. Take this guy out. It's your Oikos card. Take this guy out. We printed this on really nice paper, okay? So you can fill this thing out. You can throw it in your Bible. It can take a little bit of abuse. And every time you open your Bible, you see the list of people, the 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life to impact the kingdom of God. Man, people have asked this before. Man, what's, what's going to be our evangelism program? What's our plan for evangelism? And I said this two weeks ago. Our plan for evangelism is simply the same plan that happened in Scripture. It's you. It's me. It's other believers who care enough about loving Jesus to tell other people about him. And so all we're doing with this is helping organize your thoughts. Okay, so let me walk you through this real quick. Because So for those of you who are new, uh, oikos is a Greek word. It's used in the New Testament, and it largely means household. Now, let me get out of your own thinking right now because you think of your household and some of you are thinking, that's me and my wife. And some of you are thinking, no, that's me and that's my kids um, and sometimes my grandkids when I want to bless my kids, you know, whatever it may be. But household largely pertained to anybody that was in the care of somebody else in the New Testament, right? So those would be people who were staying temporarily at their home, people who were servants in their home, other employees, and of course, yeah, their family. And so what we're doing, largely with Tom Mercer, the pastor who, he wouldn't say he, he came up with Oikos, he discovered Oikos, but, but he said, or he, what, he, what he wants to do is be able to, hey, we're going to list these 8 to 15 people that we know that God has placed them in our lives for a reason. And as, as I encounter those 8 to 15 people, I want to just be, I, I want to be a little bit more on mission with them. So the steps are pretty clear, okay? Uh, the first one is list. They're on the left-hand side there. So if you forget, you can read it again when you get home. Your first one is list. I want you to list your oikos, those 8 to 15 people with whom you have developed or are developing or maybe show up relationship, okay? And so that's a question then of, okay, well, who should be in my oikos? What does that look like? Number one, people in your oikos should be pre-Christians, 
pre-Christians, those who have not yet placed their faith in Christ. We say pre-Christian because, man, we want, it, we want it to be incredibly difficult for people in Kings County to go to hell. And so we want to say pre-Christians because, you know what, I think that if I have anything to do with it, I want every single person that I interact with to come to Jesus. And so these are people in your life that are on the front burner of your life that you're like, man, they don't yet know Jesus. That's where they would fit, those one through four. And for some of you, let me pause there right there, right now. For some of you, man, you are, you are like me and you're like, man, I can, I can care for a very small group of people before I get exhausted. And that's okay. Just based on the size of my family, that means we're almost at eight. If I just add one, (laughs) that we're at eight. But that being said is that some of you have a very, you'll be less than eight and that's fine. For some of you people who just love being around others, Pastor Kyle is one of them that I'm just like, you are exhausting. Um, like just calm down a little bit. You'll have more than 15 people and you can care, care well for more than 15 people. So that eight to 15, that's a guideline. Don't get stuck. Don't get stuck there. But the next section is prodigals. That is believers who are not actively pursuing their faith. So people who at one point have come to faith and largely have walked away. Great. That's where you put those guys. Next one is purposefuls. Those are believers who actually pursue their faith, right? So put them there. That's where I would put my wife. That's where I would put, put some of my kids who have placed their faith in Christ already, right? So for those of you who are like my family, your family's depending on where it is, they fall in each of these categories. And last one are potentials. And those are people who seem to be showing up on my life's front burner more often than in the past. And these are people that I think of who are, uh, my kids are about to start baseball. We were at baseball tryouts yesterday. Man, all of a sudden I'm going to have a whole group of people who are going to show up on the front burner of my life a whole lot more often. A couple times a week, as a matter of fact. And guess what? There's not assigned seating at baseball games, so I can plop my chair down wherever I want. Right? But those would be the people, those would be the people largely that you want to put there. And then after that, after you've listed all of those things, you take this and you throw it in your Bible. And every time you crack that open to do your quiet time with God, you're getting to the end. You're like, you're thanking God for certain things. And you open your eyes and you look at the list. You're like, okay, God. And I pray for this person and this person and this person and actively pray for those people. Church, if you do nothing else, if you, if you take this, and you do nothing else, but write the names and pray for them. I will take that as a starting point. Because right now we're not even doing that. And so I would challenge you when you get home, if you need more of these, if you got a couple more people in your family, great. Talk to our ushers. I just created a problem for our ushers, but they'll figure it out. They're smart people. Grab another one on your way out. Grab four more on your way out. I don't care. Grab as many as you need in order to do this. Encourage your kids to do it as well. Encourage your kids to say, hey, man, I have people in my life who do not yet know Jesus. Yeah, one of the first questions we ask our kids when they come home, well, I mean, we had this, this a lot when we moved here. When they come home from they, they that my mic is going out, they would say that, hey, I made a friend today. Like, great. They go to church? Oh, I don't know. Do you know their name? No. Okay, start with knowing their name, and then we'll move <laughs> to do they go to church? And our kids just know that that's part of who we are as a family because we care. We want to love people. 
to invite them into the fold. So we want you to list, we want you to pray, and then we want you to invest in them. Man, these are people that are already around you anyway. And some of you guys are like, yeah, I don't want to invest in that person. I'm taking turns a different direction to get home so I don't have to actually talk to that person. But we want you to invest in these people. And some of them are more difficult than others. And guess what? That's okay. That's how it should be. If you like everyone in your oikos, my guess is you're doing it wrong. And step four is invite them. You know, over 80% of people say that they attend church if they were just invited. 80%. But man, we get so in our heads about like, what if we rock the boat? We're going to change the relationship. No, the only thing that's going to happen if you invite them to church is one of two things. The first thing is they're going to come. The second thing is they're going to come, but they're going to do because you your faith. Those are the two things that are going to happen. So we would ask that you would just simply invite them to church. And the last one is prepare. And this goes back to that whole idea of being sanctified over and over and over again. Man, you cannot, you cannot uh, show Christ's love to other people without you being in love with God first. So you have to consistently go back to the word. You have to consistently get into groups and be in community with one another. You have to be consistently shepherded well and loved well. All of these things are part of it. So as you get sanctified, you are able to actually do something good for these people who are in your oikos. Man, this isn't about us doing things better. It's about us recognizing that God loves us so much. God loves us so much that we can do nothing but, but, but desire to have other people be in love with him as well. Experience the same love that we get to experience on a daily basis. That's what this is about. That's what loving people well is about. It's about introducing them to the savior of the world. Because we all recognize that we have been lost at one point in our lives. And thank God for the fact we are now found. Amazing grace. Can you imagine what it would look like if not just F.B. Hanford, but the Capital C Church decided that we were going to be known for what we love, the things that we love, rather than for the things that we're against? Can you imagine what that would look like? Man, that would terrify people. I've seen some just incredible stories that have come out from some of the different newsletters and things that I get of churches who are partnering with other people in the midst of this government shutdown. Things that, that, that people who don't have a paycheck, all of a sudden these churches are raising thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and getting groceries for people and all these different things. Not because they care about making a political stance about the government being shut down, but they recognize that the government being shut down affects people because of that. They saw this as an opportunity to love other people. Didn't matter who was in office, didn't matter who was president and who was in Congress, didn't care about any of that. They decided it was more important to love people in the midst of their trials because they love God first. Amen? Man, it would flip the world on its head, and I want to do our best to flip Hanford on its head too. Partner with me in loving God and loving people to the best of our ability. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for today, and I'm so thankful uh, for those who are here. And God, I just pray, man, that you would give this legs, that we would be able to just move forward, walk forward into loving people well because of the fact that you love us first, that you love us best, that we recognize that love doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from you. And so, God, I pray that as we get filled up, we would have no choice but to be able to pour back into other people.
that we would be so in love with you that we would would count it as tragic to allow one other person to die before they recognize you as their savior. God, I pray to set our hearts ablaze with that. And God, I, I also recognize in the midst of loving people well, we, we need to get back to the idea that this all starts from you. And so, Father, I know there's people in here who don't yet know you. People who, who have been trying us out, trying out the church, maybe church shopping and, and figuring out what it is, what it looks like to be a church member, what it looks like to be a Christian more specifically. And so, Father, I pray that, that those people who are in this room who have not yet placed their faith in Christ with, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, that, that they would just pray the ABCs along with me, that A, they would admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, that all of us are messed up, all of us have issues, but God, I pray that we would recognize that we're sinful people, and we would just admit that, and B, that we would believe that you sent your Son to die on the cross on our behalf that you recognize that because we were sinful, we needed, we needed somebody to, to intercede. And that person happened to be your son, that you made the ultimate sacrifice of sending your only son on our behalf. And because of that, we get to be with you forever. But we would believe that and see we would choose to follow you every single day of our lives. And God, what that looks like, as we're calling attention to it this morning, is loving you well. But man, the the manifestation of loving you well is largely loving people. And Father, so we would choose to love those people every single day, those who are difficult to love, those who are easy to love, those who disagree with me on just about everything there is to disagree about. God, I pray that we would just love them well. We love you. Senior sons, then we pray. Amen. Hey, real quick, if you got your Oikos, not your Oikos card, I do challenge you to fill out that Oikos card at some point today and start with it next week. And then beyond that, if you have your Connect card, hey, well, go have a good one. Bye-bye.